0: Welcome to Scaling the Summit, Radio Gold Style. Your hosts, Charity Bryan and Sandra K. Sims. I am your technical director, Ginger Aaron Brush. Let's get started.
1: Welcome to another exciting episode of Scaling the Summit. We are Radio Gold. I'm Charity Bryan and my co-host is Sandra Sims. Buddy,
0: how are you today? Uh, It's beautiful here in Birmingham today yeah what you doing are you teaching you know, youth of america uh, today? i am i have lo- thursday is a heavy day for me so uh,
1: big day I, big day uh, hey I'm, I'm you know what this is a big day you want to know
0: why i'd love to know
1: i am beyond excited about our special guest today and i am immensely grateful to her and i would like to welcome maria cornelius from knoxville tennessee welcome to radio gold maria how you doing
2: I'm doing great and i am at home as you can see we're still hybrid work from home and work in the office and there are going to be dog interruptions dog <laughs> barking here's the cat patches so just warning y'all in advance there will be background noise at my house not a, mute as often as i can
1: not a problem and so far patches has been very quiet we have not heard a word from patches the cat um, but maria if patches would like to speak later on you just let us know And uh, we will turn over the mic to Patches. Buddy, you know, I do the intro and I know this is where you sort of sit back and take a break. This intro is absolutely amazing. So Maria Cornelius uh, joined Moxley Carmichael in 2013. She's a longtime communications professional with extensive experience as a writer and editor across various media, including digital, video and print. And just so our listeners will know Moxley Carmichael is one of East Tennessee's premier public and media relations firms. Providing comprehensive communication services to local, regional and national companies and organizations. Maria has been immersed in Tennessee media for more than 30 years, including a 14 year stint at the Knoxville News Sentinel, where she rose through the ranks from reporter to assistant managing editor. Maria is also an accomplished sports writer with bylines in local, regional, and national media. She wrote the award-winning book, The Final Season, The Perseverance of Pat Summit*, which chronicles the last season of the legendary Lady Vols head coach. The book sold 4,000 copies in the first five days after it's release. Maria was named the 2020 recipient of the Mel Greenberg Media Award by the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. The award is presented annually to a member of the media or sports communications professional who has best displayed a commitment to women's basketball and to advancing the role of the media in the women's game. Maria is a member of the Society of Professional Journalists, U.S. Basketball Writers Association, the Association for Women in Sports Media, and the WBCA. She earned her bachelor's degree in journalism from the University of Memphis in 1987 She's originally from North Carolina and Maria now resides in Seymour, Tennessee with her dogs that we may hear from later, uh, Gus and Sansa, uh, her assorted cats so far patches has been very quiet uh, and another cat diva named Sophia Maria. And buddy, I have to say if your cat name is Sophia Maria, you had to be a diva. I mean, there was no
0: other choice. You know, we're what an impressive, this is an impressive resume. I mean, you so much for being on our show and bringing us uh an amazing show that we could talk to you today and you know it seems like you're a north carolina native and i'm interested how in the world did you end up at university of memphis
2: yeah it's the oldest story in the book i was in love oh wow it's a love story so i ended up going to memphis It, it turned out to be the best move of my life the relationship didn't last but we're still very good friends but you know, college relationships are typically don't last. So, but it uh, th- that that is the short version of the story. Wow! And that's a great what a great way to begin.
0: I mean, going going right here. I, I'm assuming you had um, you majored in journalism
2: with all this work. That that's the other path I, I completely changed. I was actually a double major in biology and chemistry. Oh. I was about a semester short, maybe two of. Completing that double major, I'd already gotten through biochemistry, toxicology, organic chemistry. Oh my gosh. uh, Two two years of calculus, physics for science and engineering majors. And I realized you are not following your dream, you are following other people's dream for you. Mm. And I declared I was going to be, I wanted to be right for a newspaper, I was going to be a journalist, and I changed my major much to my mother's dismay, but I was paying for it. So it was my call. I was paying for my own college education, you know, working, work study, loans, grants, y'all know how that goes. And I called her to tell her, and I heard this deep sigh, and she goes, I just wanted you to have a respectable job. And I (gasps) busted out laughing. And then she became, of course, my biggest fan and yes. subscribed to, she lived in DC and subscribed to the newspaper I wrote for. So it, it worked out, but no, I went into college expecting to go into medical school. Well, I know who to, I'm gonna do that phone a friend when I have
0: science questions because you have an enormous amount. If you went to all the way that far in those degrees, that's, a, that's amazing. So in this journalism,
2: what was your first job right out of, right out of college? I was a uh, intern with the Knoxville New Sentinel. I nice. um, was, had spent my last semester working as the editor of the campus paper, The Daily Helmsman in Memphis. And another interesting story with that, the Associated Press in Nashville came in to do interviews with promising seniors who had, you know, and if, if you're the editor of the paper, you get on that list. The New Sentinel had also traveled to the campus to do interview interviews and i had been accepted an internship which you know i don't i think it was like six bucks an hour at the most (laughs) coming out of college to go work as an intern there would no. i mean i expected to be there three to six months and and be done well ap offered me a job in their bureau in nashville a full-time you know job on the desk and i thought I haven't even worked at a newspaper. I, I mean, I've got bylines in a campus newspaper, but how am I going to work on a desk editing or moving or shifting other copy, you know, through the centralized AP system. When I've never been a reporter on the street working as an actual journalist. And so I turned it down. And wow. took the underpaid internship. It's said, no, I'm going to go to Knoxville and do it this way. I later found out at that time AP was making a big push for diversity and wanting female candidates. And I realized even as a young college student, I'm not qualified for this job. I am I am not qualified to be offered this job. I know it. I'm not saying I couldn't do it, but I wanted to go be a journalist on my own before I started trying to be a desk editor or a, a moving copy through for AP. And, um, when I called the AP bureau chief to tell him I was taking the internship, he was not happy. He said, you just made the biggest mistake of your life. Well, years later, not actually not too many years later, I won a statewide award for deadline reporting for a a situation that happened in Knoxville involving two deputies being shot and both survived, thank goodness. and he of course was the one to present the award and i remember seeing him and saying still think i made the biggest mistake <laughs> of my life and he said all right all right i'll give you that well that
0: that sounds amazing I, and i'm assuming that your your process of you're getting your degree at um in memphis had had shaped you was that internship a part of your senior was that a part of no, the senior no i pro- was graduated okay and so done. you're done i, I oh, packed wow.
2: up and and uh moved moved to uh To Knoxville, not knowing anybody, not knowing anything. The only time I'd been to Knoxville was to drive through on the way to Memphis. And then
0: I guess mom was a little concerned
2: about that too. (laughs) At that point, she was probably going,
0: Hey, I don't know that this is, this is the right move. She's going,
1: we we started with medical school. (laughs) We've had a job offer from the AP and we've landed in an internship. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, Maria, did your mom recover from all of that?
2: She did. She couldn't wait to come visit. She Yay. Every time she came, she went to the newsroom. Unfortunately, she is in the throes of severe Alzheimer's. Um, so she is not, you know, understanding of anything that's happening now. But she, I mean, she literally became like, I, I love that you do this. This is what you do for a living. My grandfather took me to newsstands when I was a kid. Um, and I got hooked then. I got hooked on baseball and newspapers because of him. He died when I was in high school. And my mother often said, I so wish your grandfather yeah. was alive to see your byline in a newspaper. He, that would have just been so, so special to him to see that. But, but he's the reason I got hooked. And it never, the the hooks never left me. That enough to change my major at that point in my, because I was, oh, that means I, I had to cram all of my journalism classes into uh three semesters to get i mean i needed to get finished and get out the door oh wow. my gosh
0: see i was thinking you were just extending your stay at university no you you went pretty all in well, that doesn't surprise me i can definitely see why your resume speaks volumes for your work ethic so anyway it looks like you had a great great history and the you've, you've basically written to everybody all the naysayers out there i think that I'm not saying your mother was a naysayer, but that poor little guy was, that said you made was, a mistake. She was in
2: shock. <laughs> she was initially in shock. I don't blame her. Wait a minute. <laughs> You're going to do what? But that's pretty amazing.
0: And I'm assuming that that uh, internship was was the beginning of so many things and what great roads. So thank hey, you for sharing a, that. It was
2: a great internship. Uh, they needed interns. We didn't get coffee or, or shadow people. I got there. They told me, go look at the vacation schedule. For everyone you see off that week, take their beat. Mm. I found myself in courtrooms. The worst place I found Uh. myself in was a school board budget hearing (laughs) meeting. Oh, Oh, that's brutal. And I'm just like, I I don't know anybody. Fortunately, (laughs) they had little nameplates. So I just did what you're supposed to. I took notes like you would not believe. Every single thing said, I wrote out notes. And I get back and my editor said, what's your story? I said, I'll be honest, I don't know, but I took notes and he gave give me your notebook. He was a gruff editor. He was perfect for me. And he looked at it and he said, this, 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 that's your story, write those. So I'm like, okay. But oh. he later was impressed that I did not know what I was doing, but I took really good notes so that somebody who did know what was going on. Could tell me, okay, the, this is what's important. I mean, like I said, I've been in Knoxville a few of weeks. I mean, I I did not know anyone or anything or any of the power structures or what the issues were.
1: Hey, buddy, I think my uh, story out of that meeting would have been uh, my angle is I attended the world's most boring meeting, and <laughs> and you know I'm going to tell people about it. So, Maria, it's interesting on the show. You know, it, it seems like almost everybody has kind of that pivotal moment where they you know, life was going in this direction, and then something happens, whatever, and you you may not even realize it at the time, but that thing that happens kind of sends you in a a totally different direction, so I had no idea that you were headed to med school, but that's absolutely fascinating, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, hate to hear about your mother and the disease that we all hate, which is uh, Alzheimer's, but that's, um, you know, actually, uh, the next thing I want to ask you about is your incredible book, about the final season uh, that Pat summit was the head coach of the lady Vols, I have your book. I've read your book. I was so fortunate to actually meet you in Thompson bowling arena um, at the, the press table. And that was an incredible day. Your book is available on Amazon and it's titled the final season, the perseverance of Pat summit. Uh, and I certainly want our listeners to know where they can get a copy of that book. You've said before that you actually reached out to another journalist to write this story. And you tried to convince a pretty good journal. I guess she's okay. Sally Jenkins. She's let me, Hey buddy, it's a podcast. Nobody can see that I'm smiling. Sally Jenkins is as good as they come. And, you know, you weren't really thinking in the beginning about writing this book yourself yet. Meanwhile, you had been, you had physically been present that entire year so what led you to ask Sally to do it and I'd, I'd love to for you to tell us what Sally said
2: it, it's kind of a long story but I'll, I'll, I'll shorten it as much as I can I wish I could say I went into that season thinking oh I should write a book about this season I did not We as media like like everybody around the, the sport of basketball and around the world really there was national and global reactions to the news about pap we were as in shock as everyone. We knew Pat had been in decline, but we we attributed it to her rheumatoid arthritis and those medications. I can't say we were, we were shocked at the seriousness of the diagnosis. So we were, I mean, you, it became literally day to day. Let's get through this day. Let's get through this day. Everything changed with that diagnosis. Everything. Uh, We all knew it would never be the same. So in the middle of that uh, of that that season obviously I was there with the season practice road games coast to coast Rutgers Stanford the, the reception for Pat Summit at these places was just unreal I mean you would just look you would just look around at these arena packed arenas standing of sustained standing ovations when Pat walked on the floor and Sally, of course, had been writing her book, Sum It Up. It is a definitive book about Pat Summit. If you have not read it, get it. It's called Sum It Up. And the when Pat retired in 2011 12 Sally's deadline to get this book out accelerated. That book had to get out in March of uh, March of 2013. I mean, she had to get through so much of that book and she also was with Pat at various times during that last season. Uh, The backstory of that is in December of 2012, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I am fine now, I'm an eight year survivor, still taking medications, but fine now. I had my surgery in February of 2013. Sally's book was now about to hit the market and she texted me. She knew I was in the hospital. She goes, when you get out, swing by Pat's house, I want to give you an advanced copy of the book so you can review it. I know you're going to be down, you know, for a little bit recovering. So that's what I did. I I had an advanced copy, took it home, read it, and wrote a book review for the site I was working for, which is now, of course, Go Balls 247, part of the 247 sports network, goballs 247com And I noted in the book that it was a fantastic book. I mean, I've reread it two or three times in, in certain chapters just to go back and look at. But that Sally had to rush through that last season. It was just sort of like a da da at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. And I noted that it could be a book of its own mm-hmm. that last season. I still nothing is going off alarm bells in my head. And Sally sent me an email. I sent her a copy of the review and she she said, thank you. And she goes, you write, she goes, I wasn't there. You were, you write that book. And I'm like, huh, that's a thought. So that, that's how it came about. Fortunately, I had a, a box. I keep, I keep a box from every season until the end of the season and sort through it. So I had a box with every box score, all of my notes, all of my tapes. So it's not like I did not have a collection of information to draw from. And then that set me down the path of trying to find a book contract and book proposal. And the book proposal was actually the hardest thing to write. You have to justify why a press, UT Press, in this case, University of Tennessee Press, will take your book. And, and got through that committee meetings and all of that stuff, and, and then away we went. Wow,
1: Maria, the book is just so full of uh, stories from behind the scenes, You know, never, never before told stories about that season. Um, and again, uh, it, it's available on Amazon. It's called The Final Season, The Perseverance of Pat Summit. What would you say is something that you learned while writing the book that either surprised you or made you glad that you took uh, Sally's advice and, and wrote this on your own to tell that story firsthand of the final
2: season? You know, when you're, when you're living a season or covering a season, particularly one like this one that had no roadmap, you literally are just trying to get through each day, each week, each game. And you, you're, you, you see the day-to-day picture, but you don't yet take in the full picture. So when it was over, it was a time to really reflect on what had happened and then to go back now and talk to people who were there. Uh, you know, not just game coverage, but talk to Dean Lockwood and Holly Warlick and Mickey DeMoss and the seniors, you know, like Glory Johnson and, and then junior Tabor Spaney to reach these players afterwards and ask, what was that really like? And to realize how much pain those players were in that season. And because we you, know, you would see them on the court and for basketball players, any sport, when you step over those lines, now you're in your sanctuary. Everything is blocked out. They couldn't do that that season. Everywhere they went was a reminder of what was happening. And Pat was in decline. They're watching it in real time. So what I came away most from that book, not just the perseverance of Pat Summitt, but the perseverance of those young ladies and her staff, people like Debbie Jennings and and her her longtime secretary, Katie Wynn, what they endured to get through that. Their hearts are absolutely being torn to shreds mm-hmm. and they still have to get out there every day, be a basketball player for the players and be in the public eye and deal with all the, you guys are in high, higher ed, deal with all these struggles of, of being a college student. Right. And and that is what I came away from that from is how, how grateful I am for that team and how they handled something that was unprecedented and they're still very young lives.
0: You know, I think the biggest thing is it's amazing that you had the window that you had. I mean, what a gift you were given, even though this is the worst thing to see is this uh, the, the change in someone, but you were given a gift and then you were able to put that in words. And so, and, and then let other people give their, their words and you were able to, to, to put that in paper, that's going to be a memory for people. Because one of the things that we're going to talk about now is something that we talk about with some of our guests, and that's Title IX. You know, you uh, you came in an amazing time. Let's just be honest. You came in an amazing time in your career. I was one of those athletes that was blessed with Title IX. I was a high school, 70s kid, that Title IX opened the doors. So you've basically seen so many wonderful things. So your your window and your career has seen... The, the national work, and then all of a sudden you got to see an icon coaching right in front of your eyes, but I think the biggest thing for me is that there, this history where you're place, putting things down, there's so many people that don't know what happened, you know, the people mm-hmm. that, that will not have a chance to have known Pat, the people that don't know the journey of so many people in Pat's world that paved the way for women's athletics, that's the part that really concerns me so much is that, this group of this generation that's seeing so much that whether we're on TV, those were those are gifts to these females that are playing today and I don't want them to, to lose that. So I'm interested, what changes have you seen in journalism in this window? I mean, you've, you've basically, through your whole career, you've seen the whole gamut of nothing, of fighting for getting the last line of whatever part of the go- column it is for women's athletics to now where, gosh, we, the advertisements, I mean, it's everywhere, but we still have so many gaps. I'm interested, just from your perspective, what have you seen in this process of the Title IX movement?
2: It, there's a lot of progress that's been made, but like you said, there's still a long way to go. It, I mean, Title IX came about, what, 1972? Yep. I was born in 62, so I am 10 years old when it goes into effect. Now, it, as you know, it took a while to get a foothold. Right. When I was a kid, and when I tell current Lady Balls this sometimes, I said, you you realize when I was a kid, you couldn't play in boys' leagues. I wanted so bad to play baseball. Girls can't play Little League. I was raised in the Catholic Church. I wanted to be an altar boy. Girls can't be altar boys. Mm -hmm. I thought the Cub Scout uniforms were so cool. I wanted to be a Cub Scout. No, you got to be a Brownie. No, I'm not wearing that brown skirt. That's not (laughs) happening. So... There's so many things that, that in our age group, we have watched change. Right. I, mean, I was a walk-on softball player at Winthrop College oh. and it was under the old AIAW. I love AIAW. See, I'm I'm a 61
0: baby. The AIAW was an amazing group of women and wonderful things that happened. So I'm sorry, that always fires me no. up when I hear other people talk about well, AIAW. Um, I need
2: to find, yeah, this was book. I wanted, uh, I was asked to uh, peer review this book and it's called Mawson's Mission it's up here it's Laura Uh, Marlene Mawson uh, wrote it for the University of Kansas Press and it talks a lot and and I got the advanced copy of it like you do with academic press and I was on the receive you know I was on the beneficiary end of that and it was sent to me in raw manuscript. To review it and decide is this worth publishing, and and I read it and wrote a glowing yes. This explains all of the battle. Some of it will just yes. enrage you at what she had to put up with, particularly from some administrators. But it's called Mawson's Mission, M A W S O N apostrophe S, launching women's intercollegiate athletics at the University of Kansas. Her name is Laura L O R A. Marlene Mawson and I highly recommend getting that book from Kansas Press. Thank you. I've written that down. Thank you. We are absolutely doing better. I mean, you look at at the packed arenas and the NIL and the fact that name, image, likeness, the fact that women at sports will will benefit from that and but there is still so, I mean, schools are still struggling to be in compliance with Title IX. It is a, it is, I mean, it was recently under attack. I mean, you, we have to stay vigilant That's right. because there will always be forces that try to undo progress and right. impede progress. So losing Pat Summit was tough there because Pat, Pat fought, people don't realize the basketball was mm-hmm. secondary sometimes. She mm-hmm. fought for That's women. Right. Absolutely fought for women. And Pat, um, my absolute all-time favorite story about Pat was when, you know, every so often, I mean, Tennessee men's basketball obviously doing very well now, but there were years when the struggle went through assortment of coaches. One of the first coaching changes in the 90s, I believe early 90s, Pat Pat's name came up, but it wasn't really serious. After she had won those three consecutive national championships. Her name came up as a serious candidate, and mm. she was actually approached by Tennessee. Would you consider coaching men's basketball? Her answer: I, I want it on a T-shirt. <laughs> she looked at them and said, "Why is that considered a step up?" Oh, and yeah, that is that. That if I could tell one anecdote, I thought you said you got one anecdote about Pat. That's it. That would be the one I tell. Wow. And, and that, I, I, go ahead. I'm no. just saying
0: that that's the amazing thing to me at Title Nine is that, you know, when we lose these icons that are voices, this next generation needs to know it is. It could easily slide right back, like what we've already seen happen in these recent uh, national championships with with some things that are equity is really still an issue. But I, I just know that she is her her void of not being here is going to be felt more than just in the basketball world. It's, it's bigger than that. So we're going to need this next generation to step up and to listen and read these historical accounts and remember what happened and still fight the fight. That's just, I love to talk about title IX, but that's, that's it. But I, I know she was a queen of, of advocacy for women too.
1: Hey, Maria, you've had arguably one of the best seats in the house at Thompson bowling arena for a de- couple of decades Uh, And that is a great place to go and watch a basketball game. And, you know, just for any of our listeners that might need a reminder, you know, at her retirement, Pat was the winningest coach in the history of uh, college basketball, eight national championships uh, at the same institution, same job since she was, I think, what, 23, right? I think
2: 21 when she actually
1: got hired. Uh, She was thought she would be a GA and then she became
2: head coach.
1: Right, the uh, the coach had left, and so she got a couple of promotions. I think it's a long, it's usually a long way from GA to head coach, but you know that was a a meteoric rise and, and quite fortuitous. Um, you know, Maria, I I just you've had a you've had an amazing history, not only in East Tennessee, but certainly at with the University of Tennessee, the Lady Balls. Pat was so beloved uh, in basketball and beyond. What, what was it like for you personally when you learned of her diagnosis and how did you, you know, kind of get through that final season? You, you mentioned the players, which it's unbelievable the maturity that they showed in a situation that we all know none of them had been prepared for or ever been through before. The coaching staff, I mean, it was an amazing thing to watch that approach to every game, every timeout.
2: But what was it like for you? As you know, in the era of social media, it started to break on social media first, which is why they had to scramble to get the team together. The video that Pat was going to put out was timed, I believe, for like one or two o'clock in the afternoon, but it started to break early. And so we knew something was up that so you know something was not right ever you could sort of get that feel but like i said no one was expecting that and i mean initially when i saw the first the first things moving on social media i mean you just froze because you know what that means and then bam i went to reporter mode i mean you knew immediately this is a tremendous story this story is is huge and it's it's going to be a long story and I just went right into reporter mode I was living with a dear friend at the time and I could hear her sobbing and I'm like okay I've got to tune that out I've got to get to work and it just became you I mean just 24-7 work at that point just trying to get our arms around all of this and, and what it meant so I initially, I, I just went to that. I was a police reporter for many years and you've seen the absolute worst of humans in, in, that, in that beat. And so I, could, I had learned early on to separate myself from what I was seeing and reporting on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just would, could involve horrible, horrible cases. And so I immediately, immediately reverted to that mode. Like I've, I've got to put the walls up and get this done. I can't imagine how tough that must have been. Yeah, I, I I'm not someone who cries very often, and I, I actually, I still need to go see her gravesite, which I have not been to. But I'm afraid I will be sobbing, yeah. and like not even able to drive myself back home. So I have, I keep putting it off. I, I probably need a driver because I'd probably get a <laughs> bottle of Pat's favorite wine and just sit out there and talk to her for a while i'd have to go with something a little
1: harder than wine but yeah good good luck to you on that
2: so yeah it, it was it was very hard um very hard and and, yeah. and i'm imagining too if it was that hard on me what was this doing to her family her right. players people like joan cronin i mean it, i just i mean just take the little bit of pain that was rippling through me and it's a tidal wave of what was washing over our players at that point. Yeah.
0: You know, I think the, I don't know if any of us can ever prepare for that, but I mean, to, to for it to be so visible and, and like you said, with social media, it's, it can be cruel that everything, because every picture, everything snapped and it's going to be tough. So I can't imagine you're, you're a tough woman because that is as hard to turn off emotional piece to be professional. do your job and i can't imagine that well i'm going to shift gears a little bit because i think that this this that it that's very very heavy but i think you've done some amazing things my understanding is and i'm going to read a few because my friend who did the intro she had a lengthy thing but i'm it's i want to kind of tell a little bit about their community involvement in knoxville because apparently this is your this is pretty big for you 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 must love community involvement because this list is pretty amazing Uh, It says you're in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame board. You're a board member there. Committee member in Knoxville uh, for Making Strides Against Breast Cancer to help coordinate the annual walk. In 2021, you served as American Cancer Society um, Research HERS ambassador in Tennessee to raise money for female scientists in cancer research. You also serve on the Board of Champions for a Cause, which raises funds for breast cancer awareness and was founded by... uh, coaches and former Lady Vol basketball players Holly and Nikki, and you're a 2018 graduate of Introduction Knoxville. Um, says you were also accredited Lady the basketball team, Lady Vols basketball, for getting you through your own breast cancer diagnosis. You know, breast cancer, that big C thing is kind of, it's in my, there's a lot in my genetic line, and it is something that my mother and my Uh, sister have dealt with and praying that it stops there, but I can't imagine. So would you mind sharing a little bit about this experience and how the
2: Lady Vols helped you? Absolutely. And Moxley Carmichael, the firm I work for full-time, that is my full-time job as their writer editor, and then I cover the Lady Vols on the side and do all this other stuff. I'm also uh, incoming president now of the East Tennessee chapter of the Society a professional journalist. So I clearly don't have enough to do. People say, why do you do all this? I said, it keeps me out of trouble. That well, apparently you don't say no either. Apparently and my and credit Moxley Carmichael wants their employees to be active right. in the community. That's so right. if I have a board meeting or I have to go somewhere, I'm not taking personal time or vacation time. It is considered visibility for the company and go. So I am very fortunate in, in that regard. But Uh, it was um it was uh december 14th it Mm. actually the the i i remember because early december i had just turned 50 i had just had an annual exam two weeks Mm. like two weeks before i found a lump myself Mm. and i'm like what is this wasn't here a couple weeks ago and and I, i called my regular doctor uh he's he he's he unfortunately now retired. That was the hardest thing when your long time like 20-year yes. doctor retires. I'm like, well, you can't retire. This no. <laughs> but I called his office, got me in immediately. I mean, this is what not a case of well, maybe it's just a sit. No, you come in here, let's take a look at it. He knew me, he knew my history, he he listened to women's symptoms. He didn't talk over you. And he I got there, he goes, This wasn't here. He goes, This could be a cyst could be, but he goes, let's not, let's not take any chances. Let's get you in for a mammogram. And we're yelling down the hall because we're trying to schedule a mammogram in between Lady Ball's games. and so no, 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 you <laughs> can't do it that day. Because none of us were taking it that seriously. Right. Well, I got the mammogram done just, you know, at least about a week later. And they went and you know, they put you in the room and, and then they brought in another radiologist and then they were talking. And I have a, an ability to disappear as a reporter. Like I blend into the furniture, like they forget I'm there. And they're, they're talking in the ways that I'm picking up on. This is not good. Mm-mm. And they said, uh, we need you to go get a biopsy. Mm-hmm. And I said, is this routine? I said, I do better if you tell me things. And they said, no, this is not routine. We really want you to get this checked. So I, I, that happens about a week later, and Tennessee's is getting ready to go on the road to play uh, Texas and Baylor. This is in December two thousand twelve. So they they do the biopsy, and I don't, it, and I won't go into the graphic details. But basically, they have the suction thing that they are going in there to get parts of the tumor out, and I'm fascinated by it. I'm watching it. And people say it's painful. I mean, I, I have a very high pain level tolerance. So I'm like, it doesn't hurt. Because if this doesn't hurt, I'm going to get more. I said, you get all of that tumor you want right now. You just right. get it. But and I, I, you can see from their eyes, because they're masked, mm. that they're not liking what they're seeing. Mm. And I, I went to go get dressed. And I stood out in the hallway. And the doctor came out of another room. And I said, I know you're not supposed to tell me till the results come back. I said, but I need to know now. I, I realized I could see this wasn't good. And he walked me back in, into a private area and said, you have cancer. Mm. And I mean, there, it is hard to describe. I, I, I mean, I, I remember going home because I was quite a ways from home at where this clinic was. and And I went into my office and turned off the lights and laid down and just cried. Mm. I mean, I did that, that is where I broke down. Mm. I managed to call my mother who is early signs. We knew there were early signs of, but she was still very coherent. Yeah, we did not know she had Alzheimer's at that point. And that conversation was so hard. I said, I need you to call my brother and sister. I can't do this again. And I was scheduled to leave the next morning to fly to Austin, Texas and cover the Lady Vols practice on a Saturday for a Sunday game. And I, I texted Eric Trainer, who is the Lady Vols media relations person. He was handling that. Uh, that would be the 2012-13 season. Of course, he, he still handles basketball and said, I don't know yet what I'm going to do. I just wanted to let you know in case I'm not there because they would be you know why why are you not here we're expecting right. you on the media list so I lay there and you know I think I was on the floor with my with uh, my dog you know because you got to have a dog at this moment in your life and right. my and and you know the tears are just at this point I'm not sobbing you're just crying and your face is wet and and I'm like well what are you gonna do and and I told my, I asked myself, you know, what would Pat Summit do? And Pat would get up, and live, and go to Texas, and keep going. It would have been easy to just hide in that room for the next two or three days. And I said, I texted him back, and he he told uh, the staff, at, at practice, they were at practice that day. I immediately heard from Holly Warlick. I immediately heard from Jenny Moshek. If you need anything, you let us know. And I packed and got an early morning flight. And that Saturday, I was at the lady boss practice in Austin. I had put on our message board that I was going to be dealing with this. This was a private message board. This wasn't social media. So a lot of people would not see it. Well, apparently a Player's mother, Sierra Burdick's mother, saw it and mentioned it to Sierra. And Sunday at warmups, Sierra just walk. I'm sitting there taking pictures, acting normal, and and Sierra walks over to me and just looks at me as they're going to the layup line and walks by and says, "We're all thinking about you." And mm-hmm. just kept going. And for me, basketball became normalcy, yeah. the, the rhythm of basketball, the routine, the everything about it became something where I could channel energy and focus into that. I ended up having surgery that season, um, uh, February 15th. And it happened, I missed the next Sunday's game, which happened to be the pink game, but my doctor Mm -hmm. would not let me go. I I mean, it's only out out of the hospital one day. And, and Sierra had written on her shoe play for Maria. Mm -hmm. And then when she graduated, she gave me the shoe. And And Holly mentioned me at the post-game press conference that said, we're, you know, we're doing this for, she mentioned several people and said, we're also doing this for Maria, who's covered the Lady Boss for years. Three weeks later, I'm at the SNC tournament, covering the tournament. I, I just, like, like Pat said, if you throw a pity party, it's going to be a party of one because I'm not coming. And I just kept saying, I just kept going through all my medical appointments and routines and tests, and I'm I'm happy to report. I mean, it's a happy ending. Uh, I'm doing very well. The key lesson there, and I, I tell people this all the time, is don't ignore changes in your body. Don't say, I did probably assist, it'll go away. It was a very aggressive tumor. And had I ignored it, it would have probably gotten to stage three or four very quickly, but I caught it early. And I'm, I, I'm doing absolutely well. And the lady balls, the staff, Holly, all of them were so key in my healing. And I will always be appreciative to them for that. I think that was the power
0: of um, the power of people and your family, your extended family. We talk a lot in our professional world how our professional friends are our family. And that was your extension of your family. And they embraced you. And I definitely think that that played a huge role. And, but what a, what a great story. And I know that there was other things I was going to cover, but you did, you know, there may be some other things that you may want to talk about champions for the cause. Do you want to share anything about that? I think that for me, the, that you, you touched my heart, just the, how hard that would be.
1: It's he, Maria, like, it's, it's okay. Sandra cries at least I do, once I do, every I do. show.
0: I do. So I don't, the don't worry.
1: Heart. Yeah. Don't no. worry. She'll be, she will be okay. But it's,
0: but it's, yeah. but it's so powerful. The, the, to, to be able to get through it and have people to help you. So, wow. ooh, that was the, a
2: powerful story. The cause, of course, was, you know, Nikki <coughs> Caldwell-Fargus and Holly Warlick They they put it on a bit of a pause now that Holly's out of basketball and, and Nikki is now gone for the aces. But they both know whenever you want to crank back up, I'm ready to go and let's do this. I have put a lot of efforts now. I've been there, I think, six years now, Be my sixth year with Making Strides against breast cancer. But to be able to combine journalism, basketball, breast cancer awareness, the American Cancer Society Research, HERS, was a campaign to raise more than 80,000 in the state of Tennessee. They're getting, they got different ambassadors and we're, we're about a third of the way there. And because women are not funded women's mm-hmm. research projects are not funded. I mean, one of the biggest issues is, is metastatic breast cancer. Mm-hmm. We just don't have enough options for people diagnosed at that level and more and more young people are being d- diagnosed with it. And that is very concerning. And, and the only thing that, that corrects that path is more research, more funds. That, I mean, that, that's the key to everything. You guys know that from a higher education point of view. You need researching and you need funds. But thank you for being an advocate. I think that's the key is that you didn't,
0: you know, you didn't just do your story. Like you said, you didn't just lay on the floor. You've not only fought your personal battle, but you're helping others. So thank you for that.
1: Hey, Maria, I want to give a shout out to Moxley Carmichael because how cool that they not only allow you to do these things but they really want you to buddy i I, buddy, you know i go off script at least once a show always always i I gotta tell you so i'm in knoxville a couple summers ago right for the women's basketball hall of fame induction and i'm i'm walking down the street and uh i'm i'm looking for cruise farm dairy uh because they have ice cream there and buddy you you we you know we don't turn down an ice oh no no and i i walked right by this sign that said on a building moxley carmichael Right there downtown, I'm like oh my gosh, that's where Maria Cornelius works. I didn't go in because I was headed to ice cream, and you know nothing's gonna slow me down for my ice cream. But um, great, great organization, Maria. You've covered Tennessee women's basketball for 20 plus years, and you've just recently in 2020 received the Mel Greenberg Media Award. What was that like when you found out you were the recipient?
2: I was stunned. Mel left me a message he wanted to run something by me, which was not unusual. I figured it had something to do with the Hall of Fame or, you know some some basketball outreach. So I called him back and he and he said, "I just wanted to let you know you're going you're the two thousand and twenty recipient of this award And I'm like, what? I mean, literally, I, I was absolutely stunned. So it was, um, unfortunately, 2020 was pandemic no final four so I was looking forward to going to New Orleans and 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 we were looking forward to having everybody here in Louisiana so um but they they put it in the mail it's on my mantle right next to my Sierra Burdick play for Maria Shue and and uh, Andrea Carter also got a framed pink jersey for me Mm -hmm. after her career ended so it's uh, up there with that and um so it it was a I, w- I was humbled. I know it's an overused word, but I I was truly humbled. If you look at the people who have won it, I mean, look at the 2021 winner, China Robinson, just absolutely um, honored to be considered in the in the group of people that have received that that award. It's some really good so special,
1: really good company that you're in, and certainly very well deserved. So over this 20 plus years of being on the, you know. I, The media table, when I was at Thompson Bowling, it was on the the baseline, not the sideline. Mm -hmm. So being at the baseline for 20 plus years, what would you say is one of your fondest memories of your time covering the Lady Balls?
2: I think probably the 2008 semifinal game in Tampa against LSU. Not the the national championship game, Mm -hmm. but the 2008 semifinal. Because as y'all recall, there were what? Nine point something. Eight? Yeah. I have to go back and look at under 10 seconds on the clock. Tennessee is down one. Mm-hmm. Last possession. Pat Summit in the two weeks leading up to that final four had put, put her team through a variety of scenarios. And it was Nikki Caldwell who came up with this play. They had you, know, Shannon Bobbitt, Alexis Hornbuckle mm-hmm. were your guards. Alberta, Augustine. Nikki was like, what if we put Candace as receiving the ball on a play like that? The opponent's not going to expect it. And that is exactly what happened. Alexis inbounded the ball to Candace, who I got across center court in like two strides. And, right. and LSU was just backing off. Like They they were like, "What? why does she have the ball? She was going to be the focus of the defense, but they expected her to be on the other end, down by the rim. And Pat told her, Candace, you drive to the hoop. If they collapse, you dish off. She, of course, dished off to a wide open Nikki Anasicki who missed the layup. But here comes Alexis Hornbuckle, crashing the glass, had gone 0 for 6 up to that point. Catches the ball, and it was a catch and shoot. She knew she had no time. Tennessee wins the game by one point to then get to the st- that to what we did not know then would be Pat's last national championship. Here was the key part of that, because Pat let me into practice. Always said, if you cannot be a lady ball beat reporter, give up, because Pat will give you all the access you need. It's up to you to take advantage of it. And she would put 12 seconds on the clock, 10, 8, she ran them through, though. once Nikki came up with the play, Pat ran them through every possible scenario of that play. Here was the key part, crash the glass. Because there's no, there's no need to get back. There is no time left on the clock. You had to be ready for an offensive rebound. Several times, all, and all five to the glass. Not, not want everybody. Or put a body on somebody. You can't get there, box somebody out. They didn't do it every time. Pat blew the whistle. They had to run sprints. She goes, "You're gonna, you're all going to the glass, or you're gonna run sprints." And they finally figured out she was serious. So what? If you see still frames from that last shot, you see you see four lady balls in the paint, and Bobbitt's got somebody pinned on the outside to not get in the paint. And uh, here comes Alexis, totally unchecked, right to the rim, and that's the difference in legend and a disappointing loss and you can i've seen wide angles you can see me on the on the third row of the media row down on the floor and i'm the person leaning back like this watching and and the baton Rouge advocate reporter was sitting beside me because uh they lsu caught a timeout before that play and i said here's what's going to happen I said, Candace is gonna bring the ball in. Alexis will hang back in case she gets trapped. But they they were so confused. Alexis had to sprint to catch up with the play because they were expecting a backcourt trap. I said, Candace is gonna to drive through the rim. She's either gonna score or dish off. So everybody's been told crash the glass, there's no need to get back. And so we're watching the play, and he watches it, and he starts unplugging his laptop closing it down because he's got to go to the post game. He looked at me, he said, Pat Summitt is a genius. And he just got up and walked off. Wow. That's... I was the only calm person in that whole arena. I'm like, I know what's going to happen here. You,
1: you said, we got this. I'm not worried. Yeah. Hey, Maria, just before we go on, you know, uh, the the history there in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, kind of in that era of, you know, LSU and the Lady Balls, It was so fun to watch when Sue Gunner was, Still coaching and on the sidelines, uh, and then of course Nikki Caldwell came to LSU. Those were those were just some incredible games. It was not the first time that UT and LSU went to the wire, um, but talk about two storied coaches uh, and and beloved friends. You know uh, Sue and Pat were both on the um, Olympic team that I think didn't didn't get to go to Moscow. Uh, when, mm-hmm. when 19th, we boycotted yeah So, what, but they had just a tremendous history and that was just those were some fun fun years in the in the sec to watch those two teams thank yeah, you for that
2: those deaths hurt pat a lot like sue's death uh, Kay Yao. Right. i mean th- those were those were gut-wrenching losses for pat because you're right these were her dear friends and and
1: it was hard. On and her. I, yeah, I was at LSU uh, when Sue passed away, and uh, it meant the world to so many of us that Pat and Pat and many, many, many others came to Sue's funeral. I mean, it was absolutely packed, but it was um it was basketball royalty truly that that came to Baton Rouge and that that really meant the world to a lot of people.
2: She went to Raleigh too. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Pat. Pat was at there. Had to be three or four Pat because she was everywhere.
0: (laughs) Well, it's to me, it's amazing, and to see, and I know we keep talking about the icons and the legends and the people that, but you know, Pat Summit's name will always rise above. I mean, she's she she's touched so many and crossed so many paths. I'm interested. This is a, a question I get to ask all of our. Participants and I, I love to ask it because it gives you a chance to um, maybe give a thank you of of from from your end because you've had an amazing again amazing window of opportunity to see things, but there have been people that influenced you in your life and and helped you in your career. Uh, if you doesn't matter how many you name, you but I'm interested in you giving a chance to thank some people that
2: uh, were influential in your very storied career i i, I got to shout out my first real editor tom chester at the new sentinel because he he didn't treat me like an intern he treated me like a reporter and demanded absolute excellence from me and this this was the uh, late 80s early 90s newsrooms were a lot different there was a, yeah. a lot of it was there were no uh, decorum rules there was a lot of cussing <laughs> A lot of drinking, a lot of craziness. And so I grew up in that kind of newsroom. And I mean, if, if this was a man that the F word was every other word he said. Oh, no. He used Ooh. it in every form you could possibly imagine. <laughs> and he set the standard for how I would write. You're like, you're not going to settle for this. And but he also had a kind heart, he sort of like Pat. I mean, he could give you absolute utter hell. And then a few minutes later, have an arm around you and talking to you and there was one I had I was very young I just got there was a major story breaking I of course was not part of it I mean I was just an intern and was watching the the beat the activity and the energy of the newsroom as everybody scrambled to get this story and I was sort of standing off to the side and he walked by me and he was incredibly busy right now and he said kid don't worry you're going to be a part of one of these stories one day Oh wow So just just a little bit yeah. of encouragement when you're when you're young and and trying to find your way in the world um, obviously Pat Summit I mean I'm, I'm a, I'm a fundamentally different and better person from my path having crossed with hers she she just has that kind of effect on so many people and I, I would have to put a Pat Summit in there and then my grandfather of course. My grandfather was really a, a surrogate father to me and he inst- he he raised me a lot in the 60s and 70s and I look back at photos and bless them they let me dress myself. They did not put <laughs> yeah. me in little girly clothes or if I wanted a baseball or a bike or they he let me be who I was and that's not always the case in the 60s and 70s in the south and he, he took me with him to places, to the newsstand. And he, he just is a, is a kind-hearted soul who had a tremendous impact on a, on a young kid who needed a kind-hearted soul in her life. And, and so I would say those three, his name was James, James Henry Cornelius, so. Oh, I'm, and I'm sure that there's somehow,
0: I just believe the heavens opened up and let people that, that made huge differences look back and go, whoa, I knew she was gonna be something. You know, I just believe that he has a chance to see that. But what a, what an amazing story.
1: We're just so glad she ended up with a respectable career, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. All right. So Maria, you have literally interviewed everybody. I think maybe the whole planet, say for a couple of people. And so I, I'm curious, I want to pick your brain about all those folks you've come in contact with over this amazing career. Okay. Who is your favorite lady ball player to watch?
2: Honestly, it's—I mean—Shamiko Holtzclaw changed the game.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: People forget about her as time goes on. She was a singular talent that this game had not seen yet. And I remember watching her at practice, and I'm just like, I've never seen a female do this on the basketball court—the the way she shot, the her fluidity, just the her, the, her elevation on her shot. She was. She had gifts for basketball, obviously, but she grew up on the, on the hard tops of, of Astoria Homes and Queens mm-hmm. playing against guys. Mm-hmm. She was a tough basketball player. And in terms of favorite lady ball to watch, I, I would have to say Shamequa holds claw. Excellent choice. Okay, favorite person to interview? This may surprise people. One of the best people to interview was Sierra Burdick. Mm. She was funny, she was insightful. You know, you can get some people that are very nervous with media. She was comfortable with media from day one. She also was a Tennessee Torchbearer, highest academic honor. So wow. to say that she was capable of breaking down the game and speaking as to what happened. And she went through some tough losses. And she was always our go Because you've got to have a go-to player after losses. And we always wanted Sierra because she could put it into, into perspective. Or she would answer the questions. She never dodged questions. So one of our probably favorite people to interview would have been Sierra, just for her her expansive ability to, to handle any question, whether it's a win, a loss, or a funny situation, or just, she was, she was excellent and still is with the media. Awesome. If you could interview anybody in the whole world, who would it be? Michelle Obama. Oh, great choice.
1: Great choice. Yeah. All right. So, Maria, you know, we've had the recent uh, retirement of Coach K at Duke. A lot of people, you know, kind of mentioning Pat in terms of how very, very hard it is uh, to follow a legend like that. You've been around this business for a a long time. You've seen coaches come and go, not just, you know, Lady Vols, but across all of your sports coverage. What advice do you think you would give someone based on your experience and what you've seen whether it's coaching or in business when you have to come in and follow a legend
2: to, tune out the noise you you have got to tune, particularly with the amplification of social media tune it out you you've got to find a way not to pick cuz it's going to be coming from every angle at you now it, it was that it was more so it was the same with without social media, it's even more so now. Um, also, tighten your circle. Keep your, I mean, it's probably tight already. You're gonna to need to tighten it even more because there will pe- be people wanting access to you and they may not have your best interest in mind. You tighten that circle, make sure that you can trust the people around you. Make sure you have someone to talk to. You have to have your own mentor still. I mean, for for Pat, it was Billy Moore, the longtime coach at UCLA and her Olympic coach. Mm -hmm. You have to have someone you trust that you can bare your soul and talk to that person, and you know it will stay within the confines of you and that person in that conversation. It won't be suddenly a source is said on something social media somewhere. And the other thing is do... I mean, evolve, obviously, the game changes, you change, people change, but do what you did to get you to that point. Don't reinvent yourself at that time. You know how to be successful or you would not be in, the, in this position. Stay true to that path and stay, stay true to yourself. The most amazing thing about Pat, there are many things, but one of them, the more success she got, the more humble she got. And that, that is amazing for people yep, on that kind right. of trajectory, because normally the ego goes just like that. And she just stayed as humble and down to earth as she was when she first took the job. Awesome. Thank well, you. Well, that's great advice. And gosh, I just, mm-hmm. you know,
0: just talking to you, I went, I go, I missed being, I just would love to have been mentored and be able to have been in that world where she could have, I don't know, what a, what an amazing person. And an amazing time but anyway this is the time of the show we talk about some fun personal questions i'm going to change my first one because i want to it's going to be interesting because my friend over here that's young a uh, little podcast friend But uh, i don't know who you i don't know who talking you're talking about you, about. but we all my, so my first question is going to be would you choose a computer or your wonderful typewriter that you used to have to do i'm assuming in those early days when you said the journalism. My friend over here doesn't remember any. Doesn't, I do. I remember don't. the typewriter. You don't. But anyway, I'm, I'm interested. I the, I can't imagine journalism, honestly, in those days of, of having to use a typewriter. So my first
2: question is computer versus typewriter. You want to give any? E? I, I love, and as, as I entered, newspapers were transitioning out and into these just, hard. I mean, they were desktop systems, but they were I mean, if you look at them now, you'd probably die laughing. It looked like, you know, Pong game or something with terms of- love Pong! (laughs) But I I grew up on typewriters. And Uh, that sound is still just like, I love that sound. And people tell me, I break keyboards. I kill them (laughs) because people say you're a heavy striker. I'm like, that's because I grew up on typewriters. You have to pound those keys to get it to work. Now every time I mean you remember the whiteout and, oh, waiting yeah, the yeah. and trying to fix it and wait on it to dry. Yes, yes. I don't miss any of that. I, I, I mean, I I, I, I I under computers are and, and just trying to transmit a story. I mean, yeah. we use the old rent a Radio Shack candies <laughs> when you tried to couple it and it never worked. Yeah. And you, I mean you saw absolute fits by reporters on deadlines ready to smash those machines and so I, I I embrace the technology, but I that typing sound, in fact, I use it on my text messages. I have the typing sound. <laughs> oh, <the> nice. <laughs> because I love the sound. And my mother wrote all the time growing up. And so I grew up yes. listening to, to typewriters. Great. Thanks for letting me change
1: that question. Awesome. All right, Maria, best advice you received. I'm going to expand this.
2: Mom, dad, or grandfather? Um my mother i haven't reached it yet but she she can be quite blunt sometimes and she said you know what the advantage of being rich is and i'm like no you can tell any sob she said said it to go to hell and and i haven't reached that point yet but i'm hoping to get there and she told me that when i I was like i was in high school or college i mean she that was the best advice i ever ever heard that's
1: awesome
0: that's awesome
2: all right. If you had to
0: choose any other profession, which I cannot imagine that you would ever want to do that, but I'm interested. Is there any other profession you would have gone into?
2: Lawyer. I love to talk and ah. argue and write. So oh, yeah. I, I, there's times I wonder, should you have gone to law school? But you know, it's not like I, I couldn't do it now, but. Very good.
1: Very good. All right. What
2: was high school Maria Cornelius like? I was both a, a jock and a nerd. Uh, played violin, played sports, you know, it, it was an expectation in my house that you would do well academically. So, so I did, I was in the, you know, that national honor society, whatever that was in high school. So I, I moved through a lot of different circles of, of, of you know, I, I was, I was okay with the with the academic crowd and I was okay with the sports crowd. and And so I, I just was sort of High school, I mean there's a high school was middle school and high school are, are horrible years to get through for everybody. But I, for the most part I I had a, a very pleasant, you know, nurturing kind of situation and in, in in high school because I, I could be accepted by different groups. Good. All right. What's your favorite food or meal?
0: Uh I love mac and cheese. Uh oh. And I think it was mac and cheese day yesterday, wasn't it? Okay. What's so I- Yes, there was something, and then they had this mac and cheese ice cream. I'm not, I buddy, don't love, I love ice cream, I'll, but
2: I know that sounds I, I, good.
0: okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Thank you. I just, I that was on okay.
1: Hey, buddy, I, I would try that once. I bet you I, would. I would. I would. <laughs> All right, Maria, what does the perfect weekend look like for you? It has
2: to be baseball. I mean, uh, anything with ba- baseball is my when people say what's your favorite sport. I say baseball. It's, it's, it, it is a I tell people I sprained from infield dirt, not, not I go. Not a fertilized <laughs> egg. I sprang out of infield dirt somewhere.
1: You have the best pictures on Twitter, and you have a the, maybe the best seat in the house. Uh, is it the Smokies?
2: Yeah, Smokies. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's double A now of the Chicago Cubs. It is my Christmas gift to myself. You know, when you reach a certain age, you know there's a certain things you want. There's you, there, and you get you don't want you don't want stuff you really don't need. Right. So I have always for myself get season tickets to the Smokies and get that spot. I'm um, section 116 third baseline sunsets behind me and unobstructed view of, of the field and it usually looks like a nice uh, nice beer yes and, in front and of very you. Yeah. yeah and uh, those mugs you get you buy one at the beginning of the season and it's just 4 bucks for a refill nice yes nice all right what's the best book you've read lately other than your, your other, own. other than yeah, your right own. I, I picked up two and I like to get out of sports and and, and get into issues that, that um that are that are much deeper and, and those sports can have very deep cultural topics, obviously. Um this book I highly recommend, but it will break you. And uh, it's called The Blood of Emmett Till by Timothy Tyson. It is an incredible book. I, I advise Any woman or man of color, anybody of color reading this book to be prepared. I mean, there were times I had to just put it down because I am a child of the South. Yes. And I there were and obviously I knew it was bad, but when you read a historical Mm -hmm. perspective of this and it has details of what happened to Emmett Teal that I had not read, it I mean it, it is both enraging and sad. And it, you come away inspired to to be better. Yeah. Particularly those of us uh, uh, people like me who are white. Right. I, I I mean I, I, I y'all y'all heard my life story. Yes, I've worked hard for where I've what I've done and what I've gotten and what I've accomplished. But I certainly recognize the concept of white privilege and that my path was easier because of that because I was white. Doors open for me readily in the 70s and 80s and 90s and even 2000s that do not open readily for people of color. And I am fully aware of that. The other great book I read, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon by David Graham. This is a fantastic book. Another one that will enrage you, make you sad. Uh, It's it's about the birth of the FBI and how that, that came about. And if there's one thing I think we're all seeing and and particularly our age, the history we were taught is not the history that occurred. I mean, like I said, I was a child of the South. I was raised about the happy slaves, and slavery wasn't that bad. And the Pilgrims and the Indians loved each other. I mean, I, I was we were taught myths, which is exactly what they are, and and they are still prevalent to this day. So I, I try to read things that are going to teach me but also uh d- that are just so well both of those books are so incredibly well written they're the kind of books where you are tired the next morning because you got 3 hours sleep because you couldn't put the book down wow well thank you for sharing those all right maria beach or mountains definitely the mountains sand is not my friend north carolina girl i'm not surprised best advice for someone who wants to work in sports media read get oh, off you your go. phone get off your laptop pick up a written pick up a book i mean when when i, I read on my phone too but you scroll you don't absorb yeah. hold something in your hand a newspaper a magazine a book and read it and read a, read outside of your genre it's the same advice i give journalism students get your journalism classes in but you better get in history and philosophy and economics you have got to make yourself well-rounded and have a full understanding of the world around you And and because sports and all of these other cultural issues will intersect. Sports and culture and race issues and freedom, they have always intersected. This isn't something new. So make sure you are not just living in a bubble of a sports world. Great advice. Yep. Okay. Maria, last one, best pet summit story you can share on the air. Pat like I talked about her being a uh, humble um Pat was also fierce. And so I'm going to tell two real quick. Uh do you remember the Jerry Sandusky case? Yes. When it when it first broke and there were reports that staff members had been told uh, of walking in and seeing mm-hmm. what was occurring and I was walking across Uh, Pratt Pavilion with Pat. It was just the two of us, and I'd done an interview with Pat. You typically interviewed and walked. Pat had multiple places to be and many things to do. You rarely sat down with her. You walked with her as you interviewed her, and that case had to happen that morning. This was about midday, and I said, Pat, and I pointed towards the locker room in Pratt, and I said, Pat, if you walked in that locker room right now and saw a member of your staff doing something like that, what would you do? Pat just stopped and that look that Pat got came across her face. And she said, I would snap there. And she said bad words. Pat rarely cussed, but she said really bad words. I would snap there, bad words, neck. And then she relaxed and went back. And I was like, I am legitimately terrified right now. (laughs) Because you knew she meant it yeah and that's exactly what she would have done there would have been no negotiating or Uh -uh. reporting that situation would have been taken care of right there right wow um i I know that that tyler when he spoke at her celebration of life that was just five years ago yesterday Um, mentioned that they were at the beach one time and somebody yelled shark and a five-foot shark was in the water and she broke her ankle running out to save her husband and son from the from the shark so pat's You know, that fight or flight instinct, Pat's clearly was fight. The other thing was some, I remember some people came to practice, Pat kept practice open for visitors from Michigan and they were waiting. And and Pat always could see what people were there. And she would walk over after doing all the interviews and practice and go say hi. I mean, five minutes out of her day, but a lifetime of memories for for the visitors. And she walked over and extended her hand and I'm waiting off to the side because I still needed to interview her for something else. And so I'm off down to the side, staying out of the way. And shook her hand and said, Hi, I'm Pat Summit, and posed for photographs and signed some things. And as we're walking away, I said, Pat, I'm pretty sure they knew you were Pat Summit. And she said, Yeah, but it's the polite thing to do. And then she she grinned, she gets that little gleam in her eyes. She said, Besides, I'm just a redneck from Henrietta. <laughs> and that i mean th- those two stories are pat in a nutshell too the the, yep. s- the protective side of her and the just the fun lighthearted humble side of pat so wow well thank you for sharing
1: those this has been so much fun and before we go maria Uh, We have a fun game that we like to play with our guests at the end of the show, and it's called Two Truths and a Lie. I'm sure you're very familiar with it. Sandra and I are not very good at (laughs) uh, this game, and we try to work together to come up with the right answer. So uh, if if you are ready, we would love to hear from you three statements. Two of them will be true. One will be a lie. And buddy, we're going to do the best we can.
2: Okay. This one's
0: going to be be tough because she's
2: got uh, so much. I know. I know. I'm with you. My favorite team is North Carolina. Okay. I will be 60 this year. I was born in Massachusetts.
1: Okay, buddy, we can do this. Yes. All right, now listen, let's start with the, I'll be 60 thing.
2: Okay,
0: because think... I'm 60 and she's, yes. And I think that she said she's she is turning. She said she was a 62 baby. Yes, and I'm
1: 61 baby. But wait, and did she sh- say she'll be sixty this year? Because if so, that's not right. Oh, oh buddy, you didn't listen closely enough. Oh no. Oh no. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, I don't know. Buddy, hey, okay. listen, buddy. I could. I think okay, the UNC thing could be true. Okay, really? I, I do. Okay. Because- hey, I love that we're getting coaching. Oh, our God, our, our listeners can't see it, but we just this got a thumbs helpful. up. So, buddy, I think I think the UNC thing is true. Massachusetts thing. I mean, that could be. She said her mom lived in Washington D.C. I, I took that to be D.C., not state. Buddy, I, I don't. Know buddy, this, I'm gonna pass you. This I'm birthday really, I, thing is could. Is it, I think the, it was a ang- trick. I, it could be. <laughs> what years? What? What year is this? This is twenty-one.
0: This is, yes, but she said she's. She going was to born be, in sixty-two. But it depends on which How year she, she said she's, it. Right, yes. Right. Oh. Man. Okay. I, I do believe we're, hey, look, 60 women, I, we have to stay I together. Think, uh, so, buddy, but do you think I, that's right? I don't know. I'm going to pass because you are so You are no better. help. Ever. I've never helped. I've you got, don't. What I've do you awful. do here? I don't, I'm don't. i just sitting here. I don't oh get to gosh. do I'm sorry.
1: I'm going to let you. All do. right.
0: Mm.
1: All right, Maria, I think this year, I think this year you're 59, not 60. And if that's not right. Oh, do we get it right? <laughs> we get it right, buddy. But she's going to do it. Right. No, next year, not this year. I'll be okay, saying it was in so
2: 2020. That was a trick question. I'm I, like, what is something
1: not true about me? <laughs> it was a it was a trick and we got it. Yay! We, we won. won! all we right.
2: Won. Oh, okay. this is awesome. Gosh, I feel so good. Wow. Well, Maria, <laughs> go ahead. We've gone way over time. Can I leave y'all with one more quick story? We would yes. love it. It's my favorite college story ever. Um, Pat Summit was from the clarksville area y'all know mm-hmm. that middle yeah, tennessee yeah. Uh-huh. east tennessee is east middle and west it might as well be three different <laughs> states they are so different pat grew that is right on the border of kentucky mm-hmm. pat grew up a kentucky fan in the 19 oh. in the, when she was growing up she was a she was you know new tennessee pulled for tennessee but she was a kentucky basketball fan when she was coming out of ut martin Kentucky, and she was taking the job at Tennessee, Kentucky also offered her a job with their women's basketball program. Right. You know what Pat asked for? Moving expenses. In 1974, how much could it have cost to move from Clarksville to Lexington? You, A pickup truck and a few boxes. Uh-huh. 200 bucks, Maybe. Kentucky said no. She took the job at Tennessee. $200 changed the course of women's yep. Basketball history.
0: I would have wanted it any way. It could, it could not have money. been any other way. Oh my gosh!
2: Do not make dumb decisions <laughs> right. about money.
0: And we don't. Do we know who that AD was? So we didn't no, know. I would have to go
2: look. I don't, I mean, it's probably somebody within you know the oh, women's gosh.
0: administration. Uh, uh, I, I don't know.
2: Bad move. Uh, horrible well, move.
1: <laughs> can you can you imagine though the lockdown UK would have had on basketball period I and mean, it would have been oh, wow. unbelievable unbelievable well maria
2: Instead, pat goes to knoxville and like they say the rest is
1: history that's yep. exactly right go lady Vols. this has been the most fun maria we can't thank you enough for your time and uh listen next time you go to the office would you go get some ice cream for me at <laughs> at cruise farm because that was that's great i love it
2: yo they moved in downstairs all of our employees said this is not good Buddy.
1: (laughs) Buddy, could you imagine if we had it in our office? Oh, my God. That would be
0: terrible.
2: Well, this brings
1: us to the close of another exciting episode of Scaling the Summit. For our listeners, you can connect with Maria on Twitter at M.M. Cornelius. Maria, thank you again for joining us today and being on Scaling the Summit Radio Gold. Thank you for having me. I
2: enjoyed this very much, and I'll come back anytime.
1: Oh, well, we will keep that Uh-oh. in mind. You, you you, don't, yeah, we will. We will definitely yes. keep that in mind. And as just a reminder for our listeners, we look forward to seeing all of you in 2022 at the Health and Physical Literacy Summit in Birmingham, Alabama in February 13 through 15. Registration information is now available at nahpl.org or you can visit the National Academy of Health and Physical Literacy website for more information. We'll see everybody next
0: week.